Jurassic Park for a minute we'll be discussing the second Jurassic Park sequel one minute at a time. I'm Brad. I'm Dick. And today we're back to discuss minute 36 of Jurassic Park for a day. Ready to get into it. Uh, good. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we entered minute 35 of Jurassic Park 3. Paul had called Grant over to the clearing where they were now standing. And Grant noticed something on the ground. As we open on minute 36, Grant slowly walks forward and crouches down the ground. And as the camera pans down, we see a nest of 13 eggs. At the 9 second mark, Grant stands up quickly and looks about himself and notices more nests with eggs. At the 18 second mark, his eyes twitch and he says, Raptor, out loud, realising the trouble they're in. He turns around, looking at more nests, just as Billy arrives on the scene, packing up the remains of the parachute into its backpack. At the 28 second mark, we cut to them rushing through the jungle, trying to get as far away from the area as they can. As a rather familiar and eerie score from Jurassic Park plays in the background, Paul assures Amanda that we're going to find him. You hear me? We're going to find him. And then goes on about how resourceful Eric was. At the 41 second mark, Grant stopped and has looked back and says, Where's Billy? Realising his young protege is nowhere to be found. He starts rushing back through the foliage retracing their steps. At the 49 second mark he comes across Billy closing the flap on his camera and he says what are you doing? Billy looking guilty as hell pauses for a moment and then says I was taking photographs of the nest. Grant smiles and turns to start walking back towards the rest of the group. He says well don't do that again. If I lose you it's just me and the damn tourists. And this ends minute 36 of Jurassic Park 3. As we in the last minute, Paul Kirby had called Grant over to the uh, the clearing they were standing in um, and said they've found something. And now as we go into 36, we get Grant sort of slowly walking towards the camera and looking down at something on the ground and a really scared look on his face as well. And you notice, sort of notice here too as the fog machine, although as he crouches down, the fog machine's going crazy in the background. I think a couple of minutes ago, Dave, you were saying how much they love to use this artificial fog. But the camera drops down to show us what Grant's looking at, and it's a nest holding 13 eggs, pristine, all sitting there. And he sort of gets up quickly and realises what he's looking at, and he looks to his right or left and um, sees another nest by a stream. It's got 12 in it, and then we flash to another nest by the creek that's got 12 in it as well, and then we move left again to another nest which also has 12 eggs, so a bit of a pattern there of... Most of the nests having that 13 or 12 eggs in it. Um, yeah. But there's another nest a bit further away. You can't really see. It's blurry. So you don't really know how many eggs are in that. But mm-hmm. um, the camera pulls in on Grant's face and he looks to the right, breathes raptor, and um, it suggests you see more more nests there as well in other directions also. And then we cut down to two more nests as Billy arrives, packing the remaining bits of the parachute away into his bag. And both of these nests have 12 eggs as well. And um, we sort of get that familiar bit of a flute played as what we got in um, Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the uh, one of the things that has been kind of consistent throughout, or at least one of the light motifs that have been consistent throughout this trilogy here, is the raptors using some kind of like fluty uh, instrument to really be their light motif in um, 
in the first Jurassic Park movie, Hatching Baby Raptor, we get kind of the choral vocals and with an underlying flute sound. Hmm. And then in the Lost World, we get this, we get the return of the flute, and it's like not as high pitched as the compies, but it's kind of similar. You hear it when Dieter, when Dieter, um, and we brought this up when we covered the Lost World minute. Uh, you can hear when Dieter is kind of scratching around in the bush, and before the copy jumps out at him, you also hear it when, um, a bit more prominently, when Ludlow is starts to brings up the raptors in the ruins of the engine camp. Hmm. Yep. A couple of things to bring up here. Firstly, um. I mentioned a couple of minutes ago when we first see Billy start to fold up that parachute. I spent some time looking at some YouTube videos this past week on um, a correct way to fold up a parachute. I'm not going to say it's the same way. I'm sure they're all different, but um, the way he's folding it up here is nothing like the way you should actually fold up a parachute. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty involved process, making sure all your strings, all your guidelines and that are all straight and not um, knotted or mixed in with all the others and uh, yeah so later on when billy gets to the avery he's gonna fall down to the water he's not gonna be able to deploy that parachute <laughs> especially here when we see him he comes on screen here where he's just sort of stuffing the last little bit into the flat so he can close mm -hmm. it up but i was gonna say i think with that there's an interesting difference here of what we see with this nest and what we see or what we read in the lost world because in the Lost World novel, we uh, find the when the characters find the raptor nest, it's very, very chaotic. It's more similar to what we see of the quote-unquote valley of death in the Lost World when our when the characters slide down the hill and find them in that valley full of carcasses, mm. instead of what we see here, where this is kind of closer to what we find or what the characters find. Under the, um, what was it, like a spillway or some kind of like subterranean bunker of some sort in the first novel? Yeah, it was like see... flood flood works or something, underground flood flood prevention or something. Like yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's more like that where we see kind of developed nesting uh, where they're, they've got these kind of eggs set out in a some something of like a semicircle around this little alcove in the trees they've hidden away in. And they're constructed of, looks like, twigs, uh, mud, and leaves. And if you look inside the nest, it looks like they kind of place some moss around the eggs to kind of keep them settled and perhaps a little bit warm, too, incubated. And it's very, very different from the entire pack structure that we find in the Lost World novel, where the raptors basically kind of instinctually, I guess, mate, lay the eggs, build a nest, but then they don't put any effort to take care of that nest. So the nest kind of just ends up getting trampled over and any surviving eggs hatch. And any resulting babies that end up living are kind of left to fend for themselves. Yeah, well, that's... Yeah, because there's no, there's, like, there's no carcasses here. There's no, there's no sign that this is a carnivore's nesting site. Um, mm -hmm. As you said, the pristine eggs, yeah, there's nothing that's been trampled if the raptors have been fighting amongst themselves. Um, there's no sign there. Even, like, just the mold, the mounds of dirt that the nests are made from are just, like, really 
obviously someone sat there and made them look nice <laughs> for the film, but it, there's no footprints, there's no, there's no nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, which is interesting because even in um, Fallen Kingdom, we see Blue's nest. It's not, it's not really identified so much as that in the novel. I mean, I'm sorry, in the film, but in the, uh, I think it was the Jurassic World website, the, um, the like park website that they put together for the viral stuff for Jurassic World. They identify the area as Blue's Nest, and when you look around there, it's not just uh, where the um, explorer had been dropped at the bottom of the tree, but there's bones scattered all across that little um, clearing that she found. Hmm. And that's not to mention the, the stegosaur as well that's dead there. I, yeah, the, the stegozilla, as I kind of call, her, <laughs> call it, is um, kind of um, off a ways from the nest. It was supposed to be, I think, actually spotted in, I think you can spot it in when, like, they're leaving. It's behind one of the character's shoulders. You can spot, like, uh, the plate or something. It was a very big, it was a very, very big prop, so I wouldn't be surprised if you could see it. Yeah, there's been a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff come out in the recent weeks of sculptors and that working on that, that mm-hmm. prop, and it just makes me... It'd be like, it'd be like back in the day, then building the Tyrannosaur sick Triceratops, and, um... I said Triceratops. <laughs> uh, yeah, building the the, uh, the sick Triceratops and just having that whole dialogue set piece take part at the gas-powered Jeep and not even having the Triceratops in shot. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's what they've done. And it's sort of it's odd too because you know, we never see any juvenile raptors always fully grown. Maybe maybe it's sort of implying these raptors are more, of course, more intelligent and they have more social skills and aren't as wild and ferocious as what um, they're described in the novels. But if that's the case, we should be seeing infants or junior juvenile raptors mm-hmm. in these films as well. And yeah, so there might be. I don't know if there's been any suggestion that they might be nomadic in setting up nests in different areas of the island. This might be the first time mm-hmm. they've set up the nesting area here, but even the fact there's no adults around, or with any shot of these people yelling and everything else, because no later they only they follow them to the lab only because Billy's got the eggs. It's not as if they're hunting hunting that far away from their nest mm-hmm. at the time, but that's just a strange one. Especially when we don't see a lot of nesting sites or nests in general in these films. Mm-hmm. But we cut back to location, sitting there walking quickly through the jungle, and Paul's telling Amanda, um, "We'll find, we'll find the kids have got resources." Remember when we tried to ground him, which sort of alludes back to another past incident. I don't think I can only imagine that's climbing out the window or something <laughs> if he'd been grounded. <laughs> that's what I imagine as well. Yeah, do a little Bart Simpson swing out the window under the neighbouring tree. <laughs> mm-hmm. At the 29 second mark, Paul says that we're going to find him, and it almost looks like a road or a path through the foliage behind him in the distance. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, yeah. just because they filmed a lot of it on kind of like off trails and uh, side trails. You can see in the making of um, them setting up and moving equipment across the trails. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can take and, some screen caps and post it up in the Facebook group. Mm-hmm. 
And to be honest, they did the same with The Lost World, too. Um, I think they kind of get away with it more for Jurassic Park just because it's a park setting and they can kind of justify it as that. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. But in The Lost World, like, literally that break, that place where they take the break, and uh, after Dieter goes, or while well, Dieter goes missing, <laughs> that's, like, literally just a trail they all just decided to sit down on. Yeah, and this this isn't a blatant look. Here's a road in the background, either. It's you really got to look to see it, and even then, it might be just a long, a long sort of grey tree laying down as well. Mm-hmm. But I'll see if I can get some photos of that. As the group moves on, we get Grant stopped and looking back, and then he realizes Billy isn't with them, and asks, "Where's Billy?" And he starts back, and we don't really see if the others stop. Udesky sort of turns as Grant walks past him, but we don't see if the others stop and wait or not. But we cut to Billy walking slowly sideways, tending to his camera bag, and Grant asks, what are you doing? And Billy looks pretty guilty at this point, and then after a, a little bit says, I was photographing the nests. And then Grant smiles and starts heading back to the others and says, well, don't do that again. Billy says he's sorry. And as the minute ends, Grant says, if I lose you, it's just me and the damn tourists, which is a great little line. <laughs> so we didn't. Billy didn't quite get caught in the act here. Grant come in a little bit too late as he's closing the flap on the bag, but... Um, we do realise later that he's stolen two eggs, I think it is. Yeah, it is. So again, sort of weaving that sort of Dogson storyline in, even though it's not them, sort of, <laughs> by by taking the eggs back. Billy says later, you could have, could have sold them and made a fortune enough to fund your dig for many, many years. So, mm-hmm. But we'll get to that part a little bit later. Uh, anything else that you want to talk to before we get to novel and script comparisons? No, I think uh, that was pretty well covered. All right, in the script, um, as mentioned before, it's Udesky that calls Grant over, and Billy sort of joins them as he's packing up the chute, and Grant brings up the rear, and Amanda sees 12 nests, football-sized eggs, uh, can be seen in them, and Grant arrives last, and he identifies them with in a horrid instant that they're raptors. And as he says it in the distance, you can hear the cries of herbivores and the chorus of snarls, so in the in the script you actually get more... Audio, audio, like that background sound as he realizes what they are, which would have been really cool. <laughs> that would have been more fun. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, I wonder too, because there was there was a generation that this would have been their first Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm sure if they are maybe eight, seven, or even ten, sort of that older children, they might not have seen Jurassic Park or the Lost World before it either. So I wonder just how much gravity. Grant saying Raptors would have had on the younger generation back then, get seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. I remember this wasn't. I was actually eight. I think we've discussed this before, but I was eight years old when this movie came to theaters, and it was actually not my first Jurassic Park movie, but my first movie. Yep. My first Jurassic Park movie in theaters, and so, I mean, I knew the uh, gravity. I knew what uh, seeing Raptors meant, and the death that followed them, especially after yeah. the Lost World. <laughs> but we cut to the group blasting through the jungle, and they're all trying to keep up with Grant because he's keeping a pretty fast pace, realising he wants to get as far away from those nests as he can. Amanda asks Paul what's a raptor, and Paul replies he doesn't know. Udesky thinks um, they're not that big compared to the egg sizes in the nests, but Grant says if we come across one, we may live. And Paul responds, well, that's good. And uh, Grant says, you never see just one. <laughs> so 
there would have been a little bit more dry humor there between Grant and Paul. Mm-hmm. And then it's Amanda that says, hey, where's Billy? Grant yells Billy's name, and then Amanda asks him, I thought we weren't meant to yell. So a little bit of a flip back there of Grant then being the one yelling out someone's name instead of Amanda and Paul all the time. But I don't, I don't think Grant would have done that. It's probably a good thing that was cut from the film, um, especially being so close to the nest. Mm-hmm. Billy emerges, and he says he got some shot, great shots of the nests, and... Um, you know that this proves raptors raise their young in colonies, and um, it speaks to a larger social structure, the possible of Darwin altruism, and we could co-write a paper, which sort of again here it's it's sort of making note of how how the raptors have made such a large nest, nesting area, and how I don't know how this proves they <laughs> raise their young, if anything, because you don't see any young here, but just the eggs. And then Grant responds, oh yes, the first rule of academics, publish or perish. <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of coming across as a very Malcolm type writing for Grant in this. It's sort of it's sort of the Malcolm of Lost World where it's he's dubious, he's been to the island, he's seen it all and all these people are here in wonderment and he's just realising no we're in danger, we need to go. In a novel when Billy starts taking or talking about photographing the nests Grant um, cuts him off and uh, says this is not time to have a paleological discussion about the social patterns of raptors. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but um, that's minute 36. Dave, anything else you want to add before we get heavy today? No, I think that was pretty good. All right. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is jurassicminutes.wordpress.com and you can find... The Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are we on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now, what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters, nothing more and nothing less. Uh, Are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on Earth or heaven. Get me on that island. You desky. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to mommy now! Take the phone to mommy! It's the it's the dinosaur there! <laughs>